0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around oh. on the left side. He's got first down, 35, 30. Wandale, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are. We're back. Sports Highway Monday night. Hope you had a good weekend. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us as we get you back into another sports week, getting a little bit closer to Husker football. Talked to somebody today and said, "So you're what a week away?" Yeah, still, still a little longer than that. <laughs> We're inching our way toward the twenty fourth of October. Uh, it, it will get here before you know. we got a great show lined up for you here tonight. Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7 is going to be with us to give us his thoughts about the practice reports and some of the comments we heard from the offensive, defensive coordinators, and the head coach from last week about the first full week of Husker practice as they get ready for that matchup with the Buckeyes in the 24th. We'll also hear from Garrett Classy, Assistant Athletic Director for Nebraska, with this rollout of the Sea of Red campaign, where you can purchase a cutout. There's a bunch of different options you can do. We'll hear all about that. That starts tomorrow at 10 a.m. We mentioned it on the program on Thursday, but you can't can't do anything yet. You can start tomorrow. We'll give you all the particulars if you're interested in taking part in that, getting a cutout made. Maybe you want uh, something else done. Uh, he'll he'll lay lay it out for us. What what is available coming up later on in the hour? Adam Rittenberg will be here. to Start hour number two. Look back at a great weekend of college football. Some more amazing things. And I guess Ben, I guess Texas is not back. Well, the good news about them not
1: being back just yet is this will ha- this will have room for them to be back by the end of the year. So, <laughs> um, you know, this is, it seems to be a, a the pattern. They're back for about you know. Three or four games, and then they they regress, you know, for seven, eight, nine, ten games, and then then they're back again. So, yeah, we're following suit for the trend the last five years with them.
0: You you were tweeting about that game with Texas and TCU on Saturday. Apparently, you were not enjoying that game, very much. Oh,
1: it was horrible. It was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I think the first <laughs> quarter there was a hundred yards and penalties on the first quarter alone. Oh, and it was it, it was it was an absolute eyesore. And Gus Johnson, who, you know, bless him for the way that he calls a game, um, even made a comment like going into a break about how bad Texas was and, and how uh, focused, unfocused they were. That, that is so unlike any broadcaster in general, let alone a national broadcaster, to just straight call out a team for how bad and lackluster their play has been and how sloppy they were. Uh, But it was totally fitting. Even Joel Klatt, who, you know, you don't often – you just don't often hear a national broadcast team rip apart. um, Not just the – and I don't want to just put it on Texas. It was TCU too, but it was also the officials. I mean, every single snap. And and, and not to say that um, some of the penalties weren't warranted because they were, but uh, there was also a chunk of them that were not warranted and, you know, didn't necessarily need flags. So it was horrible. The fitting to the game was – the ending of the game was so fitting for how the previous three and three and a half to three or so quarters went. Um, yeah, I'm glad that that football game's over. Not to watch it again.
0: Took three kickoffs to get the game underway because of penalties. They did it three times, the opening kickoff of the football game, and it didn't get much better from there. Great win for TCU. Uh, takes a lot of luster off the big red, bed, big red. River rivalry, or just, I guess, the Red River rivalry. That's why I'm trying to stick in the word big. That Saturday with Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma lost back-to-back games, losing in, in Ames on Saturday night. So you got an 0-2 Sooner team in the Big 12 against a 1-1 Texas team, and Texas was fortunate to win their other game, and that was that uh, big dig-out they had the week before in Lubbock when they were down 16 with four minutes to go. But <laughs> Adam will be, will be here to uh, – Go through all that with us in our number two. Ben, big news for Trey McGowan. Huskers basketball transfer from Pitt eligible immediately. This is huge news. Tim had it in the ticker. Big time news for Fred Hoiberg. I feel like so many times we haven't had
1: a lot of these rulings go Nebraska's way. And, you know, we've always been to sit here stuck wondering, you know, what – what what's it what's it going to take, you know, looking forward to next year and just a, a pessimistic view on things. This is finally one that goes the Huskers' way. And I don't know that this is entirely unexpected, especially considering the the way that the waivers, I think, are going to work this year. But, Greg, he's, it would shock me if this isn't one of Nebraska's best players from the jump. I mean, I think this guy can do a little bit of everything. Tim gave you his stats in the ticker double-digit score from a year ago. I think he's going to bring a lot to this team. I think he's going to bring a specific mentality. I think he's going to bring a mindset. I think he's going to bring um, experience. He's going to bring a wealth of everything. And that's going to be exciting to watch. He's going to slot right in, I think, with the lineup. And um, this this isn't just another guy. I think this this has potential to be one of Nebraska's better players on the, on the, on the season. And um, yeah, this is a huge win, especially considering you're getting those three sit outs um, back eligible this year to get McGowan's on top of that. I think, you know, now you're talking about a team that, you know, last year, maybe you felt comfortable going six or seven deep. Now you might be able to go eight or nine deep, if not more. So I think, I think it's a huge win today for uh, coach Hoiberg and, and the Husker
0: basketball team. This is a guy that started 64 games at Pitt his first two years, and Pitt's had a tough couple of years when he was there. As Fred Hoiberg said, quote, we are excited that Trey received a waiver from the NCAA. We want to thank the work of our compliance staff in helping him become eligible this season. Trey has the experience and skill set to be a difference maker for us this year. So you've added a guy in Trey McGowan's and Teddy Allen, who played at West Virginia. These are guys who competed at the mid at the high major level of college basketball. And then you mix in Derek Walker, who did the same thing at Tennessee. And the experience jump that Nebraska has gotten from last year's squad to this year's team is is amazing. I mean, last year you mixed in a couple of junior college type players. but very, very little high major experience. Now you're bringing in McGowan's and Allen and Walker, and Banton played at Western Kentucky. That's not a high major, but still a really good program. Shamil Stevenson, another guy, Ben, that's played at the high major level. So people will look at this Nebraska team and go, still a really young and inexperienced team. I don't don't know that you can really use the term inexperienced, as much with Nebraska now, and particularly you mix in Thor, who's played a lot his career at Nebraska. All of a sudden, now you've got guys who've been through the battles a bunch. Yeah, you have experience.
1: These guys haven't played together, there's not yeah. a lot of chemistry, there's not a lot of cohesion just yet. And that's something that, um, you know, I don't know if you were going to weigh experience and chemistry, which one weighs more. Both very important. And, and I think last year you you had both. You, you had inexperience and you had that uh, lack of chemistry, which is why we talk so much about that Italy trip and, and what that could mean potentially for, uh, for the team moving forward. So absolutely, having that experience helps. Getting these guys on the floor together and playing with one another and uh, feel how they are, are, interact with each other on the court you feel like you have a pretty good sense of that already with the three sit outs you know basically being on the scout team together all all year last year, you know with uh with Lano and with Shamil and with Derek, you know those guys were always on the scout team together, so they've probably got a decent feel for one another, but you know you're bringing in guys like Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen and Lat Mayan and um you know now now Trey McGowan so there i mean there's there's at least fifty percent of your nucleus right there that are new parts to this thing. And you hope that the, the meshing and gelling of this team could go
0: rather smooth. You know, it's pretty interesting. I saw today. Once the news of McGowan's came out that he's eligible, I saw some people going, all right, here's my starting five. And you'd look at it and go, okay, but I can make a case for several different versions of that. And that speaks to what could be some depth that this team has. It's just not going to be the first five or six that you can get to nine and feel pretty good about those nine. And now, hey, there'll be there's going to be injuries. There, Hey, there could be COVID outbreaks on the team. Well, I understand all that. but And that's why you better have a little bit of depth going into this college basketball season, which, hey, we're only about six, seven weeks away from that beginning as well. We're, we are nine days away from them having their first practice. They can start on the 14th of October, so we're nine days away from that. But that's pretty exciting when you can hear somebody – lay out their starting five, Here's my who here's who I think will be the starters on this team. And you're going, Yeah, I could see that, but I could put this guy in for this guy and this guy in for that guy and I'd still be okay. That's pretty exciting. It is. And look, here's the deal. A lot of us
1: haven't seen these players up close compared to one another. I mean it's been over a, a calendar year now since I've seen, you know, Delano and Shamil. I didn't I didn't even get to see Derek compete, you know, on a competitive level I don't know how how well they've developed in a year. I don't know what strides they've made in the weight room. Um, I don't know how they fit Nebraska's scheme variants from last year to this year. There's a lot that we don't know and have not seen yet. Um, So, I mean, I don't know that you can um, just stick guys in a starting five right now with any confidence and know that that's going to be the case other than pure uh, projection. And I think there are, you know, you you and I could use logical reasoning here and probably nail at the very least three out of five, if not 80 percent of that starting lineup right now between the two of us. But, you know, we don't know what roles these guys are going to be asked of. We don't know, you know, any of those types of things that, you know, that, that the coaches are like, like to me. And a lot of those starting five that I've seen didn't include Thor. How do you handicap what Thor's gonna mean to this team? You know, he was the Swiss Army knife last year. I don't know how I don't know how he's gonna be used. I don't know what the coaches are gonna ask him to do. I don't know that he's gonna be asked to be a forty percent three point shooter this year. I I just don't know that. And that's the guy that I'm probably seeing the most. I don't know you know, that you can sit here and, okay, well, Kobe Webster is going to be asked to give Nebraska 26 minutes and they're hoping to get eight assists and they're hoping to, you know, he shoots four threes. Like, none of us know that. So, you know, we can sit here and and guess – You know, all day. But I think until we start to see these guys, and and Greg, you know how it goes. The starting five is never the starting five by the middle of the year, and it's never the starting five (laughs) at the end of the year. So uh, that's great that people wanted to do that exercise today. But let's just see what these guys can do. Let's just get out there, and they're all going to get minutes, and they're all going to get time to play, and they're all going to, you know, get time with one another. And, you know, hopefully by the time. Um, you know, the new year rolls around and we're we're at January 1, you're very confident in your rotation and you know exactly what we're going to expect out of Thor. You know when you watch film, what type of matchup Kobe Webster is going to be, you know what Nebraska's length is going to cause for people, you know, you know, like here here's a perfect example. And and I always laugh every time the starting lineup thing gets brought up. Remember James Palmer? from his junior year to his senior year and the way that he shot as a junior and the way that he shot the ball as a senior, he was shooting what, like 20% from three. Like the coaches had to adapt to that. They're not saying, okay, James, I need you to shoot 15 threes now. Like, like maybe you did the year before we're gonna, our goal was, okay, we're going to get Palmer to the bucket. We're going to get him to the foul line. Like things change, players adapt, things happen throughout the year that you can never expect. You can never accommodate for and that's, that's part of the excitement is none of us have any idea what these players can do and, and do it when,
0: when they're out there together. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and a couple of the people who were projecting their starting five didn't have Thor or Ivan in the starting five. Well, those two guys have big legs up because they understand the system. They also understand what the coach wants. I'll say this about Thor, too. And just all the conversations we've had with the coaches, they trust him. So he may not start – But I guarantee you, if they get some crunch time, Thor's going to find his way on the floor because they know it. They trust him. They know he knows what they want, and he'll do what they want. And so those are the kind of guys you put out there in crunch time. It's going to be exciting. On our text line, we had a guy who texted in and said, uh, Latman is a guy I'm super intrigued with. I think Fred got a steal, curious to see him play. And Lat's another guy with high mm-hmm. major experience, he played that one year at TCU. So, pretty, pretty exciting stuff for Husker hoops. All right, we uh, I stopped with Adam. We were also going to continue our trek around the Big Ten for football. Iowa is our stop tonight. They had a couple guys that opted out today, including the starting linebacker. We'll get the the latest on Iowa. Scott Docteran from The Athletic will join us on our number two. Ben will have a recap of all the weekend with our weekend rewind in the third hour, and we'll have... Our weekend winners for you as well. 531-500-4686. The number if you want to dial us up with a comment or question or fire off a text, we've got a couple of those that have already come in today. That would be on our U.S. cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. cellular connecting Husker Nation. We're back with Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7. That's next. We're back, sports finally here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp with you. Hope you had a good weekend. Beautiful weather. Going to be a great week. Get warm again this week. That's okay. That's fine. Hopefully, it stays warm for a couple of our football games later on in October and into November. One guy that I know is glad that football's back joins us now. Brian Christofferson of Huskers twenty four seven ABC. Great to have you with us. How nice was it to to um, be a part of some press sessions last week where you actually were talking about X's and O's and guys. Uh, and where they fit in the roster and those type of things.
2: Oh, it was uh, it was beautiful when uh, Greg Austin was uh, digging into the too deep on the O line. That was that was I just felt warmth all over as, as he was talking about who was possibly the second or third string left guard. I'm not even saying that uh, with snark. I'm saying it with total truth. I was like, all right, this is what this is what the soul needs.
0: I absolutely hear you. How surprised were you to hear Matt Lubick say that he thinks that offensive line might be the strength of this football team? Did that surprise you?
2: No, I've, I've thought that that could be the case and, frankly, needs to be the case. And especially in an oddball year and season like we're dealing with, I think you're really – I mean, you could say this any year, I guess. It's kind of a no-duck comment. You need your own line and your guys in the trenches to perform – but especially this year where practices are a little dicey for all the programs and guys are coming kind of in and out of the lineup, if you can hang your hat on some staple items where you can get behind your, your big hogs up front and grind out some yards and you have some staple run plays, as Greg Austin was talking about having, um, that that to me is going to separate certain teams from the pack. And Nebraska – and return to everybody on that group. I mean, all the starters are back, and, in fact, they're going to actually switch out a guy with, with Ben Hart going in at probably right uh, tackle now. Um, and I feel like for the first time since I've been covering this in the last, like, five, six, probably longer than that, I feel like the second team O-line has closed the gap on the first team. At least it seems like that could happen. And I think Greg Austin thinks that's happening. And so that's a very good thing where maybe you get a little bit more of a rotation going. And that's what what Greg was talking about last week is in a year like this, you know, sometimes we'll talk about like a true freshman like Turner Corcoran, and it's sort of just a side item because you know he's not really going to play that much his first year. In a season like this, who the heck knows? A guy like that could get called on, you know? So those second- and third-team guys being ready and being close to the first-teamers could be a very big deal for Nebraska.
0: Again, visiting with Brian Christofferson of Husker 24-7 Sports here on Sports Nightly. Late in the week, we learned about the injury to Braxton Clark. Looks like it's a season-ender for him. Um, What does that do to that secondary in your
2: eyes? Well, first off, it's a true bummer for for Braxton because he's one of those guys who had sort of bided his time and now, you know, it's kind of year three and it felt like he was going to, I don't know if he would have started, but he was going to be one of the first guys up at cornerback. And he has that 6'3", 6'4", frame, great length. And I thought played quite well, actually, when he got game action last year. He started a game at Purdue, and although Nebraska didn't play well as a team that day, uh, I thought Braxton personally had a pretty good game. And so, you know, really it's going kind to of call on some younger guys to step up. You hope that Quinton Newsom is, is healthy, and, and Scott Frost kind of uh, teased that he was getting close to, to being ready, which is a good thing, because I think Quinton and Braxton were kind of the next guys up. And then uh, this is a deal where you're going to need a true freshman or two to, to probably pop in occasionally, and maybe that's a Timon line maybe it's a Ronald Delancey, and of course there's going to be a lot of curiosity still about Nadab Joseph, who was the big juco uh, transfer addition uh, who came in in the summer and was one of the most highly recruited defensive backs in the country, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's not like they don't have some options there, uh, but in a year where, you know, you, you worry about everything and being thin at spots to, to lose a guy to injury sort of just as you get going and it was a non-contact injury to boot. Uh, that, that's a tough blow, but that's, that's football. We saw Wisconsin's got a quarterback situation where they might, be in trouble there. I mean, every team is going to have two or three headlines over the next three weeks in this league where a guy is down and you've got to work around it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think fans forget that. They're like, oh, no, not again. We got an injury. Well, everybody has injury. Once you put the pads on, you're going to have injuries. You're having guys hit each other out there. It's like like a game when they put the pads on, so that's that's a great point. We also heard from Mike Dawson on Thursday. Anything stand out in his comments? He's taken over that outside linebacker position that just needs to be better than it's been the last couple of years. What you, what'd you glean from his, his comments?
2: Yeah, I like the talk he's taken with his guys. He's saying, you know, it can't be an almost thing. We can't be, oh, you were almost there on this play. It was that close to working out. At outside backer, um, and we've seen this, some last. we saw it last year a bit, If an almost play on defense at outside backer is, a, is an explosive play for the offense. That's what it is. I mean, you, you could say, oh, we're a few inches off here and there but in the end that's going to cost you games and so what he's really talking about is the details and you've got to be in the exact right spot you've got to be able to set the edge and if you're not a guy who can set the edge at outside linebacker they're going to have to find somebody else who can do it of course the big um you know highlight guy there is probably jojo Dillman, a senior and jojo we all know is a is a playmaker and in fact Two years ago, he had the play against Ohio State that I think really turned the game and put Nebraska in position where he caused the fumble in the sack. But he's also had some plays where there's been some inconsistencies. And, uh, you know, he hasn't maybe been an every-down guy. And so I like that it feels like JoJo D- Doman is really feeding off Mike Dawson and, and, and kind of embracing his teachings. So if JoJo comes a long way, uh, that's a big part of it. And then, uh, obviously, you know, you got Caleb Tanner and Gary Nelson, but you're going to need somebody else, and that's an interesting sidebar. Is that Nico Cooper? Is it Blaze and Jamari Butler? I mean, there's just some interesting names there, and we don't know yet who's going to emerge, but it's something to watch.
0: Again, yeah, visiting with Brian Christofferson here on Sports Alley on the Husker Sports Network. Friday, we heard from the head coach, and it was the first really press gathering that he'd had since August. Early August, and even that one, there wasn't a lot of just football's X's and O's. What what'd your notebook pull out of hearing from the head coach on Friday?
2: Well, there's a lot of stuff both about football and not football that, that kind of stuck out. And uh, my condolences, you know, again, about the passing of, of Scott's father. And he I, he talked about that and what an influence his father you know, had in his life and how lucky he was to have someone like that as his father. But I saw him taking it a step further and talking about, you know, there's some people who who don't have that situation and, and kind of playing it forward. The idea is to, is to be that person for people, you know, who maybe didn't have those mentors in their life or didn't have that advantage. And uh, you want to be that. And there's some guys, you know, that come to the program where they, they don't have that situation growing up. And so it's, um, I think it, it when he was talking about that, um, you know, that's the thing I would think a lot of players would love to hear from their coach is, is someone who's taking that part of it. For the football part, you know, I think, you know, they feel good about things, but there isn't huge margin for error with the threshold that the Big Ten has set with, you know, with the, with the clip of if this many guys get it, you're out, you know, you're not playing. And so that comes across, you know, when he talked. You know, they've they've got to be uh, dialed in on everything over there in their little bubble. And there are some position groups which can, you know, they could have a few guys who, if there was some positive test, you could withstand it. And then there's some position groups, like every program in the country, where uh, you're really holding your breath if that happens. And so. I mean, it's always a precarious situation this time of year. Where there's going to get a, a guy like Braxton Clark's going to get hurt, and you're going to have just normal football injuries. But then you add on top of it this whole thing, and you know, kind of living week to week with what's our roster look like, and are are we are we healthy here? Um, it's going to be something like we've never seen before, and you can imagine the stress on coaches as they go through it.
0: Do you think there's a quarterback controversy brewing? What you you know, Matt Lubick kind of threw out there that for now, Adrian Martinez is a starter, but Luke McCaffrey's doing some great things. How'd you how'd you uh, read that?
2: Well, I think people just have to remember his staff recruited all these guys; they like all of them. I sometimes get this thing from fans that like there's a favorite of the bunch you know they recruited luke mccaffrey and logan smothers too and really liked them and mario verdusco loves those guys and so of course they're gonna i think they're always going to be pushing the envelope with competition there would i be stunned if somebody could unsee adrian martinez in the next you know three weeks yeah i think that's going to be a tall ask but I think they do believe enough in the talent of some of the guys behind him where if there are struggles, um, you know, you've got to be willing to uh, pull the trigger on on seeing what else someone else can do. The other part of that is I think we saw in glimpses last year that Luke McCaffrey is just going to be kind of a tough guy to keep off the field. You know, it feels like he's dynamic enough that they're going to want to find ways here and there uh, to work him in for – for something. I don't know what that is yet, uh, but to throw some curveballs at defenses. So I would totally expect that. I I don't think Luke McCaffrey is a guy you're gonna you're gonna just sit by the Gatorade bucket and, and wait until you have to use him. I I think you gotta get him out there in some way at some point.
0: Well, great stuff. Well, more coming this week. We'll hear from some defensive coaches tomorrow. And, yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't matter. They haven't even played a game yet. Just the fact that we're talking about X's and O's and not just all about contact tracing and testing and all those things. It's a a step in the right direction. BC, we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Yep, thanks for having me.
0: Greg Sharp back with you on a Monday night. Sports alley here on the Husker Sports Network. Starting tomorrow, a chance for you to be a part of this sea of red promotion being put on by the athletic department and here to tell us all about it garrett classy senior associate athletic director at nebraska and and garrett first of all appreciate you've some time with us here on monday Night. i don't know we all are going to just dearly miss our fans here in a couple of weeks when those gates don't open for husker football games but you and your folks at the athletic department have been trying to look for ways to get them involved tell us about this sea of red campaign
3: Absolutely. I mean, we all, in a perfect scenario, we wish that we had every fan in 100% capacity Memorial Stadium, but our external crew's been working really hard to try to figure out ways to keep our fans involved and have some fun with it, too. I mean, our fans, uh, I say this every single day, I sound like a broken record, but we have the best fans in the world, and and I know they want to partake, even if they can't be inside the stadium. We want to find a way to... uh, them involved and so that's when our, our crew came up with the sea of red sellout and it includes collector's items it includes cardboard cutouts and it includes uh, some collectibles that the fans can get so it's a really exciting program that we're looking forward to implement tomorrow morning
0: well fantastic so there's there's kind of a menu right of what they want to select and they can pick what they yep. want to, to kind of walk us through how that will work
3: Absolutely. Well, there's four price levels. There's a $25 option, a $100 option, a $250 option, and a $1,000 option. Um, For the $25, you get uh, get one virtual seat in our virtual sellout, and you get one of the collector's items. Uh, The collector's items are a commemorative ticket. Um, It's a a commemorative game program. Uh, We have a 1970 uh, National Championship poster or a helmet uh, cutout sticker decal that they can not get. So you get to choose one of those four at the $25 option. At the $100 option, you get four virtual seats for the season, one fan cutout that'll be placed in the East Stadium at Memorial Stadium, and then you get one choice of the collector's item. If you go up to the $250 level, you get 10 virtual seats, uh, two fan cutouts, in Memorial Stadium for the entire season. Then you get all four collectibles. And then our highest level is $1,000. You get 40 seats towards our virtual sellout. You get two life-size size cutouts, which is exciting. We're going to place those along the tunnel walk so our, our players know as they enter the Stadium that they see some real fans here. Well, I guess not real, but the, they are our real fans. They'll be standing, uh, and welcome them going into the stadium. And then you get four of the fan cutouts in each stadium, as well as all four collectibles. So we feel like we have a price point for every fan. It's a, it's a great way to get involved. And the best part of it is that any any profits from this campaign goes right back into our student athletes and our student athlete experience and supports all 650 of our student athletes and all of our sports teams. So it's a way to way to take part, as well as support our great uh, great student athletes here at Nebraska.
0: Again, we're visiting with Garrett Classy, Senior Deputy Athletic Director for the University of Nebraska, and talking about the Sea of Red campaign. And again, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. All right, so people want to get in there tomorrow, place their order. Do they do it online? Do they make a phone call? What's the best way for them to activate this?
3: Best way is to go to huskers.com back, backslash sea of red Sellout, and they'll be able to do that. And then, you know, there will be instructions on where they should submit their pictures, how to submit them. We ask people to make sure they wear red. But you can also submit pictures of your dog, your cat, um, you know, <laughs> the great traditions here in, 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 at Husker Nation. There's been a lot of season tickets that have been in people's and families names for 70 years. So if you want to commemorate a grandparent, a, a father, a former player, you know, we welcome all that. We want to make it fun. We want people involved. And, and I have to tell you, the phones have been going crazy since we've <laughs> announced it. So a lot of excitement out there in Husker Nation, which I wouldn't expect anything less from this great fan base
0: absolutely they they will come and rise to the occasion and you got a great partner in First National Bank of Omaha they've been with Nebraska for years and years and years and I know they were really proud to put their name on this as well
3: well they're they're amazing partners and they and they do anything that, that we want to partner with they're always the first one to raise their hand as well as a lot of our other great sponsors but First National Bank of Omaha they're always there for us they're always here to support our student athletes and And obviously, as you mentioned, have been a partner for a long, long time. So we're very thankful for their support.
0: And, you know, I know it's going to be painful when the Huskers play at home that the fans aren't there, but your group's also been working really hard on what's called a second stream, a video game day stream that they can access on huskers.com that will give them a lot of the things like players warming up, a virtual tunnel walk, those type of things, for people to be able to soak it up and and, and at least in spirit, maybe have their own little pep rallies in their house or in their garage or whatever they want to do.
3: Absolutely. I mean, we wanted to find a way to keep our Husker fans involved and and, and bring the game to you. And we understand that that our fans, if they can't be in Memorial Stadium, they're going to have huge tailgates at home. They're going to be um, having watch parties. They're going to, and obviously all safely, of course, socially distance and, and mm-hmm. following following the great rules. But we know that that how do you bring the video board into their homes and how do we bring the tunnel walk into their homes? How do you bring the marching band, the the cheer squad, um, video replays, statistics, everything that you'd get inside of Memorial stadium. How do we bring that in your home? And so that's what the second video board is going to be. And you can access that through Huskers.com or through the Huskers Facebook um, page. And so those are, those are just a couple of the items and we're, you know, we want to, Create an environment outside the stadium too. Not that we're going to be hosting any parties, but we want to get the band out. We want to get the cheer out. We want to do some things around game day that's going to make it feel special. We don't want it to be quieter on the stadium, um, and we know it wouldn't be if we did nothing. We know our fans would be there, but how can you enable them and, and help them uh, get in the Husker spirit and, and uh, really cheer our guys on the victory? That's that's the big part. I mean that that's who I feel the worst for in this scenario is that our our student athletes, our football guys, they want to have um, our Husker fan base cheering them on and so to be able to show this different type of support and all the many ways Husker Nation does support our great student-athletes is, is a fun way to, to have them involved this football season.
0: This is so great well, so wonderful and great work by you and your staff to put these two things together. Before we leave let's hit them again with the the website they need to go to tomorrow beginning at 10 a.m. to get one of these great packages as part of the Sea Red campaign.
3: Absolutely. It's uh, www.huskers.com backslash sea of red sellout. Um, yeah, you can also call the ticket office as well. Um, but I, you know, based on the phone load this week in the ticket office, I, I'm guessing a faster, more efficient way is going to be to go online.
0: No doubt. Garrett, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for telling. And you're right, it's going to be a busy day for that ticket office, for those folks tomorrow, those, those fans. I think mm-hmm. are going to flood flood the Internet and flood those phone lines.
3: Absolutely, and we can't thank Husker Nation uh, enough for their support and, and really excited to bring this to you. So, once again, uh, best fan base in the world, and, and we, uh, we appreciate everything everyone does for us.
0: We're back. Sports Island here on a Monday Night. Thank you so much for spending some of your Monday evening with us. Big hour coming up. Going to talk here shortly with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. And later on in the hour, We'll continue our trek around the Big Ten, check in on the Iowa Hawkeyes, and hear from Scott Docterman of The Athletic about as Iowa gets ready for their 2020 college football season. But as we do each and every month, I had a chance to check in with Adam Rittenberger of ESPN.com. Great to have you with us again tonight, Adam. And tough weekend for the powers to be in the Big 12 Conference. Both OU and Texas go down. Which one was more surprising to you?
4: Yeah, good to be with you, Greg. I mean, I guess to me it was it was Texas. Uh, although I shouldn't be surprised when TCU goes and beats them because I think they've done it, you know, seven out of the last ten or seven out of the last nine. Gary Patterson has really had their number. But you just figured, you know, Texas had that scare in Lubbock. They didn't play well defensively. Everybody knew they didn't play well defensively, and you thought they would come back home and play a little bit better. And they just it was messy. It was a really hard watch, honestly. That TCU Texas game both teams had a lot of penalties it was just wasn't a very well played game and I think that's a theme around much of college football right now but I still thought Texas would come out with the win. Uh, you know we know that Oklahoma's had trouble with uh, Matt Campbell and Iowa State and you know, going to Ames I thought could be a tricky one for them with the young quarterback and uh, and they you know they they, I mean, they played okay but they just uh, they, they just weren't able to make stops in the second half so it's just pretty stunning to see Oklahoma sitting there. At 0 and 2 in a league that they've dominated for really the last two decades, and then Texas, in some ways, has bigger problems because you know they have a senior quarterback, they have uh, you know a coach who's I think in a little bit of trouble now, and and they need to they they obviously need to start winning games soon.
0: Does Oklahoma seem timid to you at all, Adam? And I say that because a couple of times in the red zone, they opted to kick field goals. To me, Oklahoma's is the one that feels like. You can't stop their offense, and they'll go for those type of things.
4: Am I reading too much into
0: that with the Sooners early in this year?
4: Yeah, I'd have to go back in those situations just to see. I mean, I don't know if they were, like, really you know manageable, fourth-down situations. or I mean, obviously they're an aggressive team. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. But in talking to coaches – they have noted to me that they're not nearly as good along the offensive line this year as they have been in recent years. They, they had one of the nation's best offensive lines really for the last four or five years. They've taken a step back this year. The other thing I would point out, I think Spencer Rattler is going to be a really good player. You know, but He's a young quarterback on the road, first start on the road. And then you also don't have really any superstars at receiver, running back, or tight end. And as good as they've been at quarterback, whether it's Baker or Kyler or Jalen, they had national awards candidates, All-America-type players, either at running back, uh, receiver, or tight end, or sometimes at multiple positions. I don't see that this year. So I just don't think they're as good on offense. And maybe that does play into the mind of Lincoln Riley with some of those decisions when you just figure, okay, let's just take the points on the road. I also think they, they thought they'd be better defensively by now. Uh, I think that Oklahoma is not where they, they, they thought they'd be in year two under Alex as coordinator, and, and they're paying up the price at the end of games.
0: Yeah, sure takes a lot of ru- luster off the Red River rivalry coming up on Saturday. Let's go to the SEC. My goodness, Georgia can play some defense. I, I was so impressed with the way they shut down Auburn. What did you make of, of their win Saturday night?
4: Yeah, really impressed. And you know, a couple of my colleagues thought that Georgia would win easily. I I was more skeptical after watching both teams play. But um, you know, I think it it just it it points to a couple of things. You know, defensively, as you mentioned, you know Georgia had, in many uh, the eyes of many, the best defense in the country last year, and they brought back quite a few of those players uh, this year. And, And you're seeing you can't run the ball on them. Uh, It's really hard to, to create big plays and, and they're, they're just ferocious on that side of the ball. And then, you know, I kind of underestimated, you know, the the fact that Stetson Bennett would have a full week uh, to prepare as a starter. I thought he would be the guy, but um, I I probably underestimated just how valuable those first team reps were for him throughout the practice week. And I asked Kirby smart about it after the game and he admitted, listen, I, I probably made a mistake by not giving this guy more opportunity in the preseason and kind of relegating him to a third-string role where he didn't have very many opportunities. But you know, of their options right now, you have JT Daniels, who hasn't played you know, a lot of football since the 2018 season, just got medically cleared. You have Dewan Mathis, who just isn't very experienced. And then you have a guy in Stetson Bennett who uh, really was the, the backup last year and took a lot of those uh, reps in practice and was ready to go. And then you saw that. In addition to a much-improved offensive line, they ran the ball very well against Auburn. Auburn's kind of a new-look defensive front, and you could see that in that ball game. But I thought that would be one of those close, you know, 21-17 type games. But Auburn could just never get going offensively, and, and that was over very quickly. Stetson
0: Bennett with 57 attempted passes for Georgia. That's just crazy. Okay, they get Tennessee this week. The Vols are 2-0. and Are we ready to believe in Tennessee? Yeah, I guess we'll learn a lot on, on with them on Saturday.
4: Yeah, so the one thing with Tennessee, which is interesting, is um, they are better along the line of scrimmage than Auburn is, just with their experience, especially offensively. You know, Trey Smith and Cade Mays, who transferred from Georgia, he finally got the clearance to play. He'll be motivated going against his former team. So their offensive line should match up better with Georgia's defensive front than Auburn's. And I think Tennessee's defensive line has a chance to create a few more problems for Georgia's run game, and, and maybe uh, be able to pressure Stetson Bennett. So I'm interested to see how how this one plays out. It's almost a nothing to lose type, type game for Jeremy Pruitt. They're they're two and zero. They've looked pretty good. Uh, and they're going to a team that everyone thinks is going to beat them, you know, fairly easily. Tennessee's really struggled in this series lately, and so I think they can play, you know, they can play loose and, and free. I was at this game two years ago in Athens, and it wasn't overly competitive. I think this will be a more competitive game. I think Georgia's going to win, but I think we're going to come out of this game saying, "Wow, Tennessee is making some real progress under Jeremy Pruitt, and, and is a team to, to to watch out for the rest of the season."
0: And Arkansas wins an SEC game. That's a headline, right?
4: It is. It is. There was a video there, their athletic director, Hunter Juracek, uh, tweeted from the locker room uh, where one of the offensive linemen, about 15 seconds in, you know, goes to another player and goes, two and a half bleeping years, I won't say the word, two and a half years. You know, Just incredible enthusiasm to end that uh, losing streak. And, uh, yeah, it was stunning. I mean, name, name a two-week stretch like Mississippi State has had, You're going to beat the defending <laughs> national champion and then losing to a team that hadn't won in, uh, in two and a half years in, in the SEC. And so I would say this, though. Um, Arkansas has really played three. Three of their halves this year have been really good, the first half mm-hmm. against Georgia, and then the both halves obviously against Mississippi State. And I think defensively, you know, you're able to add a guy like Barry Odom, who was an SEC head coach just last year. Now he's the Arkansas defensive coordinator. And you're seeing the impact he's having on one of the worst defenses in the country last year. You know, Bumper Pool was, ter- was terrific at linebacker, great name, Bumper Pool uh, for Arkansas. And, you know, they have some really good defensive linemen. And so I think that's a unit that can help them uh, as they improve as a team. Kendall Bryles uh, on the offensive side. And so I think Arkansas. We, we could be sitting here and saying, wow, that was maybe the most improved team in the SEC. They, they set a very low bar, but they're already exceeding it under Sam Pittman. So and, it's good for them, for sure. And,
0: and Adam, it, haven't the last two weeks kind of been the Mike Leach coaching career? I mean, you go pull yeah. off a huge upset and then you go go back to your place and you you, you lay a bit of an egg.
4: Yeah, you know, in talking to some coaches in that league last week, they said, you know, this is Leach. You know, he's going to go, and obviously, he has a signature win, but he, he's going to lose to a Vanderbilt, and he didn't lose to Vanderbilt until he lost to Arkansas, and so that's just that's just how it is. It, you know, there's an inconsistency uh, with their play. I mean, I remember a game that they blew to UCLA when he was at Washington State, which was a game that you almost couldn't lose, and they found a way to lose it because they just allowed, you know, so many points in a very short period of time. And you know, I think when 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 you're that aggressive and maybe stubborn, but but when 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 you take that approach offensively and it's sometimes hard to, to make adjustments when the opponent makes the right adjustments against you. And I think Barry Odom and that defense, they weren't gonna make the same mistakes that 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 Bo Pelini and the LSU defense did in Week One, and you know KJ Costello was erratic. You, he just didn't look like the same player, and uh, and then they found a way they, they you know they found a way to win on the on the Arkansas side. So that 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 that's something to watch for with Leach is that um, you know they it wouldn't surprise me if they have another signature win down the line, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they lose to one of the weaker teams in their division or in the East Division.
0: Again, visiting Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Well, this week, the top-ranked team in the land, the Clemson Tigers, will get a bit of a test. Here come the Hurricanes of Miami, who's been, who've been so impressive to start this season. Give me your, your early thoughts on this one for Saturday.
4: Yeah, I'm really excited to see. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say Miami's going to go in there and win in Death Valley, but Miami has high-level players on both sides of the ball. and That's why it's always fun to see a team like that Match up with Clemson. You know, Miami has a couple of guys on defense that are going to be in the NFL. I mean, Jalen Phillips is playing at a really high level. Oh, the UCLA transfer, um, uh, Quincy Rocher coming in from from Temple is another interesting pass rusher. Can he uh, make life difficult for Trevor Lawrence and 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 and, and, and that Clemson passing game? And then offensively, you know, Derek King has been really good. He he, he I wrote about him today and some of the other first-year starting quarterbacks for new teams, um, you know, he, he's been efficient. He hasn't turned the ball over. You know, he, he creates problems for defenses with his feet. Uh, you know, they, they've been making more explosive plays. You know, they have two really good young running backs. They have two NFL-caliber tight ends. The Miami offensive line, which has been a weakness for many years, has taken a step forward, you know, in talking to one of their coaches on the defensive side last week. He told me that while well, our defensive guys noticed it in practice, it, uh, hey, these guys aren't so easy to push around. And I think while Clemson is really good defensively, they're also young. That's one thing coaches have told me, that they're, they're, Clemson's best defensive players are young guys, and you're going against a, a really experienced quarterback in, in Eric King. So I, I think Miami has a chance to hang around in this one. You just wonder if they can go into a tough environment and, and, and put it all together for four quarters.
0: Yeah, should be fun. And the Pac 12 now has a schedule hour. Are you surprised that they're going to get those? At least the, the first game is going to be an early, early kick out West.
4: Yeah, I think Herm Edwards is fired up. I know Arizona State practices <laughs> very early in the morning anyway, so it shouldn't be a huge adjustment yeah. for them. And, you know, again, I think this is a season with only six games where the Pac 12 can have some experimenting and do some things and see what works and see who's open to, 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 to trying things. And it'll certainly it'll give give them a little bit of exposure with with that with those two teams going at it with with USC and and Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels those are two exciting young quarterbacks in the Pac-12 right off the bat. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting year. we'll see what Oregon has and if they can put together an undefeated season and where that, you know, puts them in the potential playoff race and you know, Cal is an interesting team to me with their quarterback returning and their defense making several really significant strides the last few years under Justin Wilson so yeah excited to see the schedule out and hopefully everybody can stay healthy really the pac 12 and the big 10 as you know greg has no no margin for error you know with, with the virus so let's just hope that both leagues with their testing programs can manage this thing well enough so that nobody uh, you know, has to has to miss a game because there's no chance of making it up
0: very good adam as always we appreciate it enjoy the upcoming week we'll chat again next monday sounds like a plan thanks greg Max Highland here on a Monday night, Greg Sharp with you. Time for us to now continue our track around the league. Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with Dino Care. Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone. Touchdown, Olave! 27 20, yard. 20, 20 10, touchdown! Touchdown, Illinois! guy at the 1 and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown, 25, Michigan. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Penn State! 70, oh 20, cone to the 10, cone to the 5, cone! Touchdown, Wisconsin! Tonight, up under center, play fake, to pass, wide open, caught! Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to Amir, smith Marset on a crossing pattern. The Iowa Hawkins. Here to tell us about the Hawkeyes. Scott Dr. Men of The Athletic with us here tonight. Before we get into this, did I spy you in Ames, Iowa, Saturday night by chance?
5: Yeah, Greg. I was at uh, the Iowa State Oklahoma game. I've done uh, two home Iowa State games this uh, fall, and it's been great being able to see some football. And and that was uh, quite the game for the Cyclones, uh, one for the ages.
0: On TV, Scott, that looked like a pretty good atmosphere. With I don't know how many fans they had—twelve, fifteen thousand something like that—but it it felt pretty real. At least watching the game on TV. How was it in in person?
5: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to judge. I mean I, I think they were as loud as they could be because all of them were wearing masks too, so uh, that kind yeah, of yeah. you know muffled the sound a little bit, but. You know they were into it, no doubt about it, and when there were big plays for the cyclones they they got into it and so I think for as uh for what you could expect it was it was as good as you could get for for Iowa state and of course, beating Oklahoma at home for the first time in sixty years uh you know it was a cause for a yeah. celebration, no matter how good the suitors are.
0: Yep, no doubt. All right, let's talk about the Hawkeyes a little bit. It's been a bumpy offseason in in Iowa City. The unrest, the the, the dismissal of Doyle, the longtime strength and conditioning coach, has that calmed down? What kind of sense do you get about the mood of the program right now?
5: Yeah, it has, and uh, I think in some ways – it's it's probably like when two people that have been kind of grinding against each other for a long time finally have it out, whether that's an actual fist fight or, or a screaming match. But you know, it's kinda came to that type of situation where once they they had a huge beating when everything went to a head as a as a staff and and team and, and they got You know, got really, uh, you know, uh, there were a lot of issues going on in that meeting, but uh, it turned out that it went for the better that Kirk Ferentz listened to them. Kirk Ferentz added, uh, did a lot of different things that normally Kirk Ferentz wouldn't do. He expanded the leadership council. He made sure that there were more voices of all ages and and races and, and really some of the topics that maybe he would have ignored in the past, such as the star spangled banner, uh, whether or not they could kneel or not, you know, he's willing to listen to different points of view. And, and the the players reflect that their parents reflect that they said, look, this is uh, it's been troubling in the past, but we feel like he's really making efforts in the future. And, and I would say thus far, you know, it's it's small. We will, we won't know until they actually start playing games, but it seems like they have a more cohesive unit than they have in the past.
0: All right, uh, what a season last year for the Hawkeyes. Go 10-3, and finish it off with a bowl victory over USC and, and really thump the Trojans in that Holiday Bowl win. Let's talk defense first. They lose some real talented guys up front, headlined by Epinesa, and then I guess what today, Colbert is is opting out, the linebacker. What about that side of the ball? What questions do you think are on that side of the ball going into this campaign? They've got decent
5: depth up front, so I think they'll be okay as far as rotational goes. But I'm not sure that they have a guy. I know they don't have a guy that can replace exactly what A.J. Upineza did. He's too good. Um, You know, he's a -a once-in-a-generation player for the Hawkeyes on that side of the ball. So they're going to have to try to do it by committee. Can they mount a pass rush? I think that's the biggest question for the the defensive line. I'm not sure they can. I'm not sure they can get to that plateau that they they want to. Now, at uh, linebacker, that is a big question. With Jaime uh, Colbert started 23 games, he elected to opt out back in August, and then when the Big Ten canceled the season, everything kind of backed off. But he, he made it official, or Iowa made it official today, even though he hadn't been practicing, you know, since they were allowed to. So, uh, you know, that leaves them pretty inexperienced at linebacker. They've got some guys they like, but let's see what they can do when they're out there playing. And then finally, in the secondary, they lost two guys the NFL uh, one starting for Denver another other guys with Baltimore and uh, so they've got some holes to fill I think they're still going to be a pretty good unit but I'm not sure that they're going to be the elite unit that they were last year
0: well they were top 20 last year defensively they were really really sound all right on offense a lot of eyes will be on Spencer Petras the the quarterback that takes over for Nate Stanley you 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 like him and it sounds like a lot of the folks at Iowa like Spencer a lot
5: yeah, I do. I think he's got a chance to be really pretty good. Now, can he be good right off the bat? You know, going against a Big Ten schedule, that's going to be remain that remains to be seen. He's got a big arm. He's uh, well liked. He's got a lot of targets, and uh, you know, so I think he's got. What it takes to be good, but you know, my question is with a guy with a big arm who's young, is he going to look down the field and, and try to make the big throw, or is he going to take the check down? Is he going to you know, look for the back coming out in the flat, or is he going to try to hit Amir Smith Marset down on a go route when he's double covered? That, and that's really going to be the question, and I don't think we can answer that until he actually gets in the heat of the moment. But, but by and large, I think a lot of people like him. I know the coaching staff does, and you know they bypassed uh, Zach Wilson who went to BYU. Uh, Uh, He was their number two when they took Spencer Petras. So I think, uh, you know, there's a little bit of pressure there. And and if they don't, if nobody else remembers it, certainly I do. And I'll make sure to write about it.
0: Well, I I think you pointed out the the key thing is he's got some, he's got some weapons around him, Smith-Marset. I like Laporte the tight end. I mean, the running backs are are guys that have been in this league for a while. So it's not all on his shoulders. They should be able to be pretty balanced, I would think, on offense.
5: Yeah, they're probably in a better situation skill position wise than they've been since maybe 2009, 2010. Uh, when they had a lot of pretty good players. So I I think, you know, they've got four wide receivers that are all kind of starting caliber. And and Iowa hadn't really had much of that over the last decade. They've had just serviceable guys at best. But they've got playmakers uh, that have different skill sets. Brandon Smith's a big physical guy, and he didn't play at the end of last year after he had surgery. But, you know, he had almost 40 receptions in seven games. And you had Smith-Marset, who's, you know, electrifying as far as, as the speed goes. And Tyrone Tracy had some big plays. And Nego Reganian, as you mentioned, Sam Laporta. They've got a couple of running backs that can make things happen. So from a skill position standpoint, they're, they're in a good spot. So it, it's really up to Spencer Petrus, You know, you don't want to be a game manager, but he's going to have to learn how to be a game manager. And, and I think uh, as long as they don't coach out these, you know, the, those too bland, I think he's got a chance to, to really work with a pretty good offense.
0: We're visiting again with Scott Doctroman of The Athletic here on Sports Ony. We're breaking down the Iowa Hawkeyes in our Around the Big Ten previews. Okay, let's let's turn to the schedule. I guess this is the third rendition of the Big Ten football schedule this year. As this third one came out, what, what caught your eye on the good or the bad for Iowa as you look at this schedule?
5: You no, know, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it was really a better schedule for them than the first iteration for sure, and uh, probably the second one as well. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that catches my eye right away is is their first test, and that's Purdue. And, and this is a purely styles-make-fights game uh, for, with against the Boilermakers because Iowa's defense is control the line of scrimmage. It's a two-gap system where their first steps are more lateral, Uh, to control the the running game. Well, Purdue doesn't have a running game. Purdue tries to make you defend every blade of grass, and they've got two elite wide receivers that Iowa has struggled to contain in the past. So I think uh, just to to see what Iowa can do against David Bell and against uh, Rondell Moore, that's going to be a major challenge, but I think that's going to be a very entertaining game because I don't think Purdue could stop Iowa either. So uh, that fascinates me right off the bat. And then I'm glad that that the Huskers and the Hawkeyes are going to get that plaque Friday game. I mean, it just, it sounds so strange that they're able to make that happen. And, and then of course, the end the season at home against Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I mean, last year they, they lost by two points at Camp Randall and that, you know, they were one game behind uh, both the Gophers and the Badgers uh, to win the division. And, you know, they beat the Gophers head to head. So uh, two points away from on the road. So now they've got the chance at home. And, and I think uh, there's a really good chance that there's a, trophy in Kinnick Stadium that day. I'm not sure if it'll be for both teams or one, but I, I'm, I'm certainly thinking that that's going to be a very impactful game in the West Division
0: standings. Scott, have there been any early headlines out of the, the, the padded practices that are now underway in Iowa City?
5: Not so much, but uh, I think what we've seen is uh, some of the, the, they have had a couple of impact transfers. A graduate transfer, Coy Cronk, and started yeah. 40 games at Indiana at left tackle. Uh, he's now transitioning between either right tackle or guard. Uh, he's with the starting unit. And then, uh, then a really solid uh, defensive tackle from Northern Illinois, uh, Jack Heflin. He's really floated with the first unit, and he looks to, to really fit what Iowa wants to do from that position. So pretty much what I've seen is that those guys – You know, where they're maybe not as talented as, you know, certainly as Tristan Wirfs in Kronk's case, but can get get in there and and fit a role. And and I think that's going to be really important. And and the other one is Alaric Jackson, their left tackle, is uh, back and healthy. And and he was really talented. And then 15 plays into the season, he had a sprained knee and he was just never the same all year. So I think if uh, you have him and Kronk, they've got a pretty good tandem at the tackle position.
0: That'll help a young quarterback out, no doubt. Scott, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Bye. See
2: the game last night? Which game?
0: Many of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat is taking the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way. And so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24 yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown.
2: Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom, goes the dynamite.
0: It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin.
1: Well, uh, another weekend come and gone in college football with no Huskers. That means we're getting closer to the Huskers season and the opener with the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus. But... SEC in full swing as is the ACC Big 12. A lot of good action happening right now uh, around the world of college football. So let's go ahead and jump into the results, starting first with the number one team in the land, the Clemson Tigers taking on Virginia, who was already dealt a huge blow with without seven players and two coaches. And Tigers roll up the Cavaliers 41 to 23. Trevor Lawrence, three touchdown passes on the day. Go to the SEC next, A&M and Alabama. Boy, this one was a shootout from the jump. Alabama hangs 52 on the Aggies, 52-24. Ooh. I expected more of a fight as Mac Jones throws for 435, Greg, against the Aggies who really weren't in this one at all the whole entire game.
0: Just can't quite get there, can they? I mean, everybody kind of waiting for A&M to have a bust through a year, and they just can't quite get there they can and uh, boy
1: Bama's looking really good yeah they lose two first round wide receivers they have another two more and they might have another one by the name of John Mechie the third five catches 181 yards and two scores for the Tide we'll stay in the SEC we'll go down to the Swamp third ranked Florida against the Gamecocks of South Carolina tight game Florida wins by two touchdowns 38-24 did you see the mismanaged clock by the Gamecocks at the end of this one I did not lay it out for me. What happened? Oh man, it's like three and a half minutes left. They're driving, and by the time that that possession ends inside the, they're, they're right around the twenty yard line with three and a half minutes left. They get all the way down to the goal line. There's under a minute left, and they have three timeouts. It was just absolutely brutal the way that uh, that the way they handled the clock. So tough, tough, tough day there for South Carolina. But I don't think overall not to be expected. We waited all day for the matchup in the SEC between
0: Georgia and Auburn, and this one was all dogs. And McIntosh is out, and Cook is in. Bennett going to throw it left, hang it up for the corner, and touchdown!
5: Touchdown on a diving effort, George Pickens!
1: Georgia rolled. Auburn couldn't even get off the deck in this one. 27 to 6,
0: Georgia. How about that? Great defense. We talked about it with Adam last hour. Georgia just choked them off defensively. That's a really good Bulldog team. here. Going over the box score, Ben, Georgia attempted attempted 57 passes in that game. That seems crazy to me. Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: but Georgia gets it done, 27-6, yep. improved to 2-0. That's a very impressive win there for the, uh, for the dogs at home between the hedges. All right, let's go to Austin next in the Big 12. This was an early game, and for TCU – the slu- the sloppiness, the unpredictability was worth it in the end. Second and six.
0: It's a keeper for Duggett up the middle. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Max
5: Duggan scores it here from 26 yards out. The Hortons with the touchdown.
1: There was nobody, Greg, it, even in the the, the pre-snap alignment up the middle at all with it between the hash marks there was nobody easy run for Duggan for the touchdown and that that put it away that was a absolute I don't know I don't know what that was for, for for Texas's defense but somebody messed up somewhere and that was an easy scamper and that put it away Texas had a huge chance in this game to score and take the lead and perhaps win Keontae Ingram catches a big pass on a wheel route. They get about 11 on a run to follow that. They hurry up to the line, which I don't understand. They, they could have first and goal at the one. They run to the line of scrimmage. Instead of letting the clock drip under two minutes to go, they hurry to the line. They snap it with about two and a half left. Ingram fumbles on the one, and TCU pretty much runs the clock out uh, from there on out. But why
0: rush to the line? Well, I mean, what it's, do you it's It's the mindset of these coaches. We want to go fast. We we make a big play. We want to go fast. We want to jump on them while they're not ready. Well, in that situation, you don't. You let it out perfectly. You're trying to bleed some clock late in the game. You punch one in. You want to let less time for TCU to come down and try to kick a field goal to beat you. But Texas, in a hurry, in a haste, and they blow it with a fumble at the goal line.
1: Yes, absolutely. 33-31. Big win for TCU more on uh, Big 12 upsets here in just a little bit. But speaking of upsets, how about Tulsa over 11th-ranked wow. UCF, 34-26. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Even though Tulsa played very well against Oklahoma State, I kind of think we all thought that this wasn't going to happen again, that that Tulsa kind of blew it early in the season, and they didn't. They, they won on the road and, and snapped the nation's longest
0: home winning streak of UCF by eight points the, the bits of that game that I got to see that was not a fluke Tulsa looked to be the better team most of the night in that game and they've given UCF fits the last couple of years it's just odd how some teams give other teams trouble and Tulsa is kind of the the kryptonite to UCF and they pull off the big upset Dylan Gabriel's 51 pass
1: attempts not enough for the Knights. Back to the ACC we go. We expected a slobber knocker in Chestnut Hill, and that's exactly what happened. Six to two was the score in the fourth quarter, Greg. Boston College outscored North Carolina six to two, but Carolina hangs on for the 26-22 victory uh, and improved to two and oh. That's that I think that one pretty much went pretty much exactly how we expected. It
0: did. We thought it would be a real bare knuckle fight I, uh, when i kept getting scores of that game ben i kept remembering austin belittling the tar heels with his pick on friday night mm-hmm. <laughs> well <laughs> there you go
1: back to the american we go cincinnati beats up south florida 28 to 7 south florida's offense just can't get off the deck and here you have cincinnati improving to 3-0 and the three touchdown victory all right back to the sec we go Arkansas hadn't won an SEC game since 2017. Mississippi State and Mike Leach euphoric after their win on the road against the defending national champion LSU. This one was etched in stone, right? Uh Uh-uh, Arkansas had had other ideas.
0: Frank's going to throw, got a man wide open in the end zone. Touchdown, Arkansas. Hudson Henry with his first touchdown as a Razorback, and the Hogs go up 20-7. 21-14 21-14 would be the final. Can you explain this? It's Mike Leach, right? Adam and I talked about this game last hour as well. It's kind The last two weeks is kind of Mike Leach's coaching career. He goes and he'll pull off a huge upset and then a team that you're going, well, they win that game, and then they don't. It's just crazy. Credit to Barry Odom. That name will sound familiar. He was a former Missouri head coach. He's now the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. He uh, drew up a masterful game plan to really choke off that passing attack of Mississippi State. Good for Arkansas. Nice for them to get a win. First one since 2017 in league play. Man, they're a bad half away
1: from being 2-0, sad as that sounds. Back to the SEC we go. Least surprising result of the day, Oklahoma State over Kansas, 47-7. Zero surprises with how that one went on Saturday, but Big 12 wasn't done with surprises Saturday night in Ames. Things can get weird, and that's what
5: happened for OU. Birdie takes the snap, hands it to Hall, up the middle, Brees
2: for the touchdown! And the Cyclone lead! Brees Hall with his second touchdown of the night, an eight-yard run off the left side! And the Cyclones have regained the lead!
1: And it's a lead they would not relinquish. 37 to 30, Iowa State makes Oklahoma 1-2, and 0-2 to start Big 12 play. Brees Hall, 139 yards and the two touchdowns, as you heard. Boy, this really softens up the matchup this week and the Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas, both coming off upset losses.
0: Sure does. You got an 0-2 Oklahoma team in the league against a 1-1 Texas team that was fortunate to win the other game when they came way back to be Tech Not a a lot of luster at all for that Red River rivalry. It'll get a lot of attention, but it really shouldn't. Two pretty mediocre teams right now. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Back to the SEC for a couple of finals. LSU beats up Vanderbilt. Much-needed win for the Tigers. Miles Brennan throws for 337 and four scores. No problems with Vandy. And speaking of no problems, Tennessee dusts off Mizzou. 0-2 are the Tigers. 2-0 are the Vols, 35-12. Final score there. We'll go to the ACC. Boy, what an exciting finish between Pitt and NC State. Pittsburgh was looking good through three games. They choke it away against NC State. Uh, touchdown pass from Leary with under a minute to go gives NC State the one-point victory at 30-29. to None of us picked that game correctly, I don't believe. We, I think uh, we all – upset we, there in
0: the ACC. We all kind of knew Pitt was a little overrated. We picked them to get beat the week before, and they didn't. So they stump us back-to-back weeks by dropping this one to NC State. Mm-hmm. One-point victory there.
1: Final top 25 game, Memphis and SMU. Expected high scoring. There was only, how about this, Greg, 13 points scored in the second half Ooh. between Memphis and SMU. This was an over-under of near 70, and SMU is able to kick a late field goal and beat Memphis 30-27. to You and I picked that upset uh, with our pick segment, so that, that should help some of the damage that – that was caused earlier in the day. We'll finish it up. An overtime game. Non-ranked teams, but a memorable one for the Rebels.
0: Takes the snap, sprints to his right, throws to the end zone. He's got his man, Elijah Moore, with the touchdown. Out of the motion, he slipped just inside the goal line. A sidearm strike from Matt Corral, and the Rebels can win it here
1: with a PAT. PAT would be good. Corral throws for 320-14. and Scores there for the Rebels' first win for Mr. Lane Kiffin. Kentucky
0: falls to 0 and 2. Tough when you lose a game because you miss a PAT. That just will, mm. that'll that'll make dinner taste rotten for about a week. Sure, absolutely, but not my problem. I'm not uh,
1: no affiliation to the Wildcats whatsoever. All right, let's go ahead and jump to the NFL, shall we? Uh, starting first with some finals. Uh, earlier in the day, starting with the Browns and the Cowboys. Boy, this wasn't looking good for the Browns. as Nick Chubb goes down with a knee injury. So fantasy owners brace for impact there. But the Browns just dismantle the Cowboys' defense. OBJ with three touchdowns, 49-38 the final. Cowboys come back late, but still down by – lose by 11. Dak Prescott, Greg, 58 pass attempts. Throws for 5 0 in the loss,
0: and the Cowboys are 1-3. Stats are for losers, right? I mean, yep. I saw that tweeted yesterday by a couple people. It's like, well, let's really celebrate Dax throwing for over 500 yards. Oh, what, by the way, his team lost. Yeah. What a big day for Odell Beckham. Man, whoever had that guy in fantasy football, and life. Yeah,
1: got a touchdown pass from his, uh, from his mate. Jarvis Landry had the sealer on a 50-yard touchdown reverse. Big-time effort there for uh, for the boys. Uh, OBJ getting on track. Saints beat the Lions. Hang on 35-29. Drew Brees, couple of touchdown passes in that one. Saints now 2-2. Two two. Lions at 1-3. Seahawks over the Dolphins, 31-23. Closer game than many expect. Russ throws for 360 and two scores. But the quarterback who threw the most touchdowns yesterday, one member of our staff loves him. Others, member on our staff don't love him so much, but he had a big day yesterday. Mr. Tom Brady leading a win over the Chargers.
5: Three-year-old for 46 yards downfield. Fake it. Oh, you can't do it any better. Brady to Miller. Touchdown, Tampa Bay.
1: You just can't do it any better, Greg. He's the best to ever live. Tom Brady leads the seven-point win over the Chargers. Five well, touchdown you,
0: passes. You are saying that with your tongue firmly planted in your cheek, <laughs> but there is a lot of truth to that. The guys, all those rings, he's going to run out of digits. He's done a nice job. Tampa doesn't win those games in the past with Winston as a nope. quarterback. They do with a guy like Brady.
1: He has the most regular season wins all time for a quarterback at uh, for anybody, I guess I should say, 222 wins now for – Tom Brady in the regular season. And it was the first for the first overall pick in Cincinnati as the Bengals hang a big number on the Jags.
0: Second down of goal. Mixon out of the backfield. Has some daylight. Curbles to the end zone. In for the score and he took a lick from Miles Jack but he hung on. Touchdown Cincinnati.
1: Huge day for Joe Mixon finally getting going for the Bengals and Joe Burrow gets his first NFL win
0: good for him good for Zach Taylor head coach of the Bengals to get off the snide and get win number one in the year they almost had it the week before ended that game in overtime with the Eagles yeah that was big for
1: a lot of reasons but you know the big thing for Zach Taylor and what Ian told us just got to see things trend in the right direction um for for Zach Taylor to, to stay around it was the Ravens over the Washington football team, 31-17. to Lamar Jackson, a 50-yard touchdown run, much-needed win for Baltimore. Washington's just no good. Nope. But the sad thing is nobody in that division's any good, and they got a chance to win it.
0: Yeah, that division has been putrid the first several weeks of the NFL season. I mean, beyond bad. You're going to, Somebody's going to win that with a sub-500 record, aren't they, Ben? That oh, division? yeah. 8-8 eight eight were the Cowboys last year, and they
1: got it. That's in. right. It's a, yeah. it's a disgusting league uh, around around the NFL. Cardinals and Panthers in Carolina. Carolina wins at 31-21. Teddy, two gloves, throws for 276 and two scores. Kyler Murray with three touchdown passes, but not really an efficient day for Arizona, who have really slowed down now 2-2 nice. two and two on the year. Yeah, back-to-back losses for them. Mm-hmm. Hot start, and everybody jumped on the bandwagon. But th- what do they say on the Oregon Trail? The the, the bandwagon has broken a, an axle, and they're they're in need of a repair right now. <laughs> Down, they lose by ten to Carolina. Oh boy, this was uh, this was a matchup of zero and three teams that both fighting for something good to happen, and the Vikings end up beating the Texans thirty-one to twenty-three. And that ended Bill O'Brien's tenure in Houston. He was let go today as the coach and the GM. Deshaun Watson ends up throwing for 302 scores, but it was not a good day for him. Um, He got a bunch of garbage time there at the end to make it a game, but for the first half, the Texans had just six points on the board. Big day for Dalvin Cook for the Vikings. Rams beat the Giants in a pillow fight, 17-9. Jared Goff throws for just 200 yards, but Man, this was a this was a gross game.
0: It was. That was hard to watch. And then how about the how about our, our yeah. guy Nick Nick Gates getting into it with Aaron Donald? Yeah, and and po- uh, man, just post game brawl happening. Yes. Um, with, Jalen Ramsey was in the middle of that post game yeah, brawl, Golden wasn't he?
1: Tate. Yeah, Golden Tate. All kinds of tussling happened in L.A. But the Rams improved to three and one. Giants zero and four. Speaking of pillow fights, Chicago in indianapolis was that too late touchdown for the bears makes it interesting but nick Foles, there was a he was much ballyhooed this week for his effort and to come from behind fashion against atlanta the week before but he was terrible against the colts 42 passes just completes 26 balls and there was uh right before that last drive to Allen robinson there was not not a lot happening for the bears offense and the colts end up winning nineteen to eleven. They approved a three and one. Both teams both of those teams are three and one. What, what do you what make of the Colts? I don't know. I I, I I don't I don't think they can quite figure out what they want to be offensively, which is not surprising with an experienced quarterback and Phillip Rivers. Uh, T Y Hilton can't get going. They can't really seem to get the running game going consistently. I don't know if they're just in a hmm. rut or they're just not a great offense, but they haven't looked great um, just just yet. We'll see if things turn around for Austin Orman's beloved Indianapolis Colts. All right, Bills and Raiders, uh, 30-23 the final. Expected a good one, got a good one. Yeah. But the Bills end up uh, winning by a score in 30-23 the final. Stefan Diggs over 100 yards uh, there for, uh,
0: for the Bills, who are now 4-0. and So how about that? Josh Allen making a play to be MVP. He's off to a terrific start. The Chiefs and Bills play coming up here soon. That'll be an interesting game. Yes, absolutely, and we'll finish it up Sunday
1: night with the Eagles beating the Niners twenty-five to twenty. Had a chance in the end zone for a hail mary to the Niners at the end, but not not to be uh, to come through this time. George Kittle though, the Niners fifteen catches, a buck eighty-three, and a score, single-handedly keeping me in the fantasy matchup with Austin. But things got to go my way tonight. We'll we'll see how it goes. All right, that puts a bow on the uh, National Football League from the weekend. Let's go to the hardwood next. 2-0, season season seemed to be over. No no bam, no Goran Dragic. Heat were done, right? Not Mm -hmm. so fast. Jimmy Butler gets going.
0: 120 remaining. Butler says, give me the ball. Butler, the drive, the runner, he banks it in. Oh, what a masterpiece from Jimmy Butler.
1: Jimmy Butler was the best player on the floor by a mile last yeah. night. 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. They kept running that, that that pick where pick play where the Lakers would switch. They'd get Caldwell Pope or somebody mismatched on Butler and you'd just take him to the rack, and they had no answer for that. But how about the way the Lakers handled the end of the game? Two players, two three, or two, three players just walking off the floor, LeBron being one of them, and – still time on the clock. They had to pause the game so guys could get their warm-ups off so they could just get guys on, on the floor for the last point
0: seven of the game. I, I don't get LeBron sometimes, and I saw you tweet about this. And is, is there anybody more whiny on the court than LeBron James? I mean, come on. Every whistle that goes against him, yeah. it's these both palms up, jaw drop. How dare you call that? I mean, LeBron, I mean, it, it's... It's hard to watch, and I, he's a marvelous talent. He's an incredible talent, but my goodness, he he's at times really hard to like. I, and I'm trying hard to like him. I,
1: that was even part of my tweet. I, I've always liked him. I've always been a LeBron guy, but now that he's on the Lakers, where I'm a little bit more, what would you call it, objective, Um he is a baby. I mean, he is a big-time right. baby. And the way and that, that he was... handled that game was not good. And this is coming from a guy I've supported him his entire career. I've always stuck up for LeBron. But, I mean, it's yeah, you're look. right. Every, sing, every single whistle, he's, he's there complaining about something. And you're right, and, it's not a good look.
0: And whether it's a no-call or a call, I mean, he just – it's unbelievable, and I, I just think if you're the game's ambassador, and he really is, he's the he's the image of the NBA right now. You gotta act better than that. I, I'm sorry, you just you do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, looking for for you to set the
1: example. Um, we had some horse racing this week. Yeah, we heard from Andy Weingarten on Friday, gave his picks, and this is how she finished the Preakness.
0: Swiss Skydiver, Authentic, the derby winner alongside. They're set for a battle in Baltimore. And on the inside, Swiss Skydiver on the outside, Authentic. Johnny B. going left-handed.
5: Swiss Skydiver, Swiss Skydiver up for a long left to go. Swiss Skydiver looking to make Preakness history. Another Philly bounding toward the 16th hole. And here's Authentic on
0: the outside answering the call head and head and nose and nose Swiss Skydiver and Robbie Alvarado, they've done it from Authentic.
1: Swiss skydiver wow. holds off Authentic. How about that, Craig Sharp? Sixth Philly. Philly to ever win
0: the Preakness. That's great. Andy said on Friday, he thought this was a really wide open field. He said you can put together a lot of different things. He mentioned the Philly, but didn't have him, didn't have her in his top three. He didn't think Authentic would win. Didn't. Uh, but that that was a that was a really cool race to watch. If you haven't watched it, go back and YouTube it. it, You'll enjoy it. Pretty good good trip around the track. Second fastest time, yeah?
1: Behind Secretariat uh, at the Preakness. So
0: pretty amazing.
1: Um, Sergio wins the golf tournament. uh, Did you see the end of that?
0: I did not. Enlighten me. Okay. 18th fairway. He's tied. And... I think he's like about 150 out, Ben, and he stuck it within two feet. Hit a beautiful Ooh. iron shot in there. And as he walked up to the green, he couldn't really see how close he was. And then once he kind of crested to where he could see where his ball was, he got a big smile on his face. He's like, <laughs> okay, this one's over. I got it. So good for him. Good for, good for the good for Sergio. Yeah. I enjoy watching Holm. him. Yeah.
1: Holly Holm, uh, uh, unanimous decision over Irene Aldana. In, uh, in did the you UFC watch that? Main- I did. Absolute domination. I mean, it's never yeah. – Never a doubt. Irene Aldana loses. Holly Holm just dismantles her. I mean, the strikes, I think, were doubled. Body shots were doubled. Um, yeah, it was, it was not close. So,
0: Chiefs have opened to her me. up. Back-to-back touchdowns. They now lead 26-10 to on the Patriots. That game is over. 7-0 Packers late first half against the Falcons. We're back. Monday night, Sports on here on the Huskers Sports Network. Tomorrow night, another practice report coming your way. We'll hear from some of the defensive coaches as Nebraska gets geared up for this 2020 season. We'll also have our uh, top ten list headed your way tomorrow night. Time now for this weekend's winners. Ben, what you got? Yeah, I'm going to give my winners to the Arkansas Razorbacks. No Yay. conference
1: wins since 2017. No um, Hogs! Ooh. Yeah, could have uh, could have pulled a big upset in week one, but – fell short but able to pull it in week two so congratulations to them in all seriousness we know we've gotten used to losing here in lincoln which is just a terrible terrible thing but imagine imagine being on that side of it and the sec just getting pounded every week so it's sincere congrats to the hog fans who have gone through so much losing so much turmoil and and getting a big win so truly congrats to them tim yeah, my weekend winners, one of them goes out to the Iowa State Cyclones and Brock Purdy and Brees Hall for handing the Sooners their second straight loss. You really hate to see it, don't you? Uh, my other weekend winner uh, goes to Holly Home. I stayed up for the, the, the late, late UFC uh, fight between her and Irene Aldana. She, at 39 years old, still was able to pound people into submission. Uh, hasn't really done great since she beat Ronda Rousey and really
0: kind of burst out in the scene, but it's really nice to see her uh, come out swinging, uh, literally, and get the win to prove to 14-5-0. So those are my weekend winners. Sweet. Austin, what you have?
2: The weekend winner that I have is Jimmy Buckets. It's literally Jimmy became Ooh. literally the first player – in LeBron's finals history to do all three of outscoring out rebounding and out assisting him Jimmy Buckets was I think he was viewed a step below some of the NBA's upper echelon guys given all the the turmoil surrounding him in Chicago then Minnesota then Philadelphia it's been really smooth for him down in Miami he proved he still belongs in that A-list NBA player conversation this weekend
0: what'd you make of LeBron's actions at the end of the game
2: it was lebron i wasn't overly surprised i i i don't know I, i'm with ben i'm in the boat of I, I really enjoy watching lebron play basketball defending him as a player i don't think he should have done it i don't think it's a good look for him i am not going to get too upset about it though
0: that's a that's a great comment you you it it didn't surprise you because we've seen so much of that from lebron during his time in the nba You're like yeah that's just what he does i mean and that's just that's sad that that's what he's what he does. Uh, on that Iowa State comment that Tim had, how about they hadn't beaten Oklahoma in Ames since nineteen sixty? Are you kidding mm, me? Yeah. Nineteen sixty? So last time they beat them, that's unbelievable. That's sixty years, people That's a and long I know, time. I know they haven't played every other year in Ames, but they played a lot of football games in Ames. That's unbelievable. Greg Why How much get, stock to, oh, sorry to interrupt you. How much
1: stock do you put into I mean, I saw this tweet and I know Oklahoma's better, but it was it was a it was a sarcastic tweet to to Lincoln Riley that he's scouring the waiver
0: wire for a quarterback that's already been developed
1: hmm. Is
0: there, there, there's there's for that Yes, there's, but there's a little bit of truth to that. He's always, he's never had to go young with a guy. Now, the scary thing is, Rattler in about two years could be unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. But right now, he's a little gun shy, making some poor decisions in key times. Uh, but yeah, you just look, he's plugged and played with Baker and then Murray, and it hurts last year. Now he has to go with a guy that's his own. That's why I kind of wondered. Would he be looking around, looking a little NFL after this year? My winner, Ben had it in this in the ticker. Swiss Skydiver, the Philly, wins that photo finish at the Preakness. What a great race that was. It was so cool. A photo finish there. Philly wins its second fastest time in Preakness history. That was really cool to see to wrap up racing's triple crown. We certainly got pushed off schedule this year because of COVID nineteen. The next big horse race will be the Breeders' Cup in a couple of weeks, and then they'll get back on schedule in twenty twenty one. We're on schedule tomorrow night for another practice report. I know Tony Tuioti, Barrett Rude, the defensive line and inside linebackers coach will be on to on the podium tomorrow. We'll have clips from them tomorrow night. We'll go beyond the headlines and a top 10 topic to be determined before the tomorrow night's show as well. Great show here tonight. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and all of you for being a part of this one. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly hotline. Brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. That puts a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks for listening. Back with you again tomorrow night.